J.G. Bookman here with another incredible offer from Booked Industries. Do you enjoy intelligent, insightful, in-depth analysis of high-minded literature? Uh, no. Would you rather listen to real, crude, and often nude rambling regarding some of the daddiest, nastiest, poopiest genre fiction around? Well, yes. Well, then do I have the product for you. We're introducing the Booked Podcast. For a minimal monthly donation, you can listen to two guys tell you about the books they're reading. How much of a donation, you ask? Well, normally, a premium program such as this would run you at least $159.99. What? A bargain. But I'm willing to offer it to you today for the low, low price of one American dollar. What? You hear that? Roger's speechless. But that's not all, folks, because if you act now, you also receive... Bonus content. It could be an author interview. It could be gossip girl commentary. It could even be lunch with Livius. Not bloody likely. So to get the booked podcast, plus the bonus content, the 188 booked. Again, it's 188-B-O-O-K-E-D, period. Don't delay. Donate today. Do not call. Not a real phone number. Visit patreon.com slash booked. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about tonight is Exponential by Adam Caesar. And now, we say Caesar because once recently we had, uh, it's it spelled C-E-S-A-R-E. And there's been a big debate about this, but... Uh, well, hold th- on, guys. We're going to wait for Rob to stop getting sexts in order to continue with the show. Oh, you're going to be waiting a while. <laughs> you're going to be waiting <laughs> I, forgot, a while. <laughs> I forgot who I was talking to. <laughs> Oh, apologize for the background <laughs> noises, folks. If we're nothing, if professional here, <laughs> exactly. So, any rate, yeah, we're throwing all the blame on Shane McKenzie for any mispronunciation of anybody's name for the remainder of the podcast. So, if we mispronounce somebody's name, if it's from this book, the author of this book, a character in the book, something we talk about afterwards, all on Shane McKenzie. Yeah. Also, uh, the fact that you could hear that sound, also Shane McKenzie's fault. Dude, Jane McKenzie is sexting you? That's pretty goddamn no, cool. No, it's I'm his not. fault. <laughs> oh, oh, because I was totally going to send him my number. Because you know what I get from Jane McKenzie? Nothing. <laughs> I'm just saying. There's nothing <laughs> from Jane McKenzie. Uh, maybe we're doing okay that way. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the book is exponential. The author is, according to Shane McKenzie, is Adam Caesar. And here's his bio. Adam Caesar is a New Yorker who lives in Philadelphia. That would, to me, make him a philadelphia um, he's. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling punchy tonight, buddy. So. What do you What are you drinking, Rob? <laughs> uh, this is not that kind of podcast. He studied English and film at Boston University. His stories have been featured in numerous publications, including Shroud Magazine. While his nonfiction has appeared in Paris Cinema, Fangoria, and other venues. Can I just say, when I was looking at the notes, I was—I tried like eight different ways of pronouncing that in my head before Paracinema occurred to me. I was like, Paracinemia, Paracinema, par- oh, it's Paracinema. <laughs> it was like one of those little microscopic particles, like a paramecium or something. Dude, it's awesome. It's about movies uh, where people jump out of planes, is what that publication is. <laughs> Maybe it's movies I get it. falling I get out it. of planes. All right, we're we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> rein this back in, lest we be confused with books, beer, and bullshit. Wow. All right. Here is the synopsis for Exponential. Can anything stop a creature that won't stop growing? Sam Taylor just wants a friend. Is that too much to ask? 
His only mistake is finding that friend in Felix, a lab mouse that Sam rescues from the top secret facility where he works as a janitor. Shortly after his rescue, the mouse begins to change, to swell. There's something new growing underneath Felix's fur, growing very fast. Hold up in a roadside bar, four survivors, a woman who's lost everything, her drug dealer, a tribal police officer, and a professional gambler are all that stand between the rampaging beast and the city of Las Vegas. But as the monster keeps growing and eating, how long until it's able to topple the walls protecting them? Um, I'm not one to usually criticize a synopsis, but... Wait, the, wait. Is that me that usually does yeah. it? Okay. <laughs> I criticize the bio. It's up to you to criticize okay. the synopsis. That's, that's fair. Um, but it seems like there's a logical leap from um, a, a, a weird mouse to a monster that people are hiding from. Perhaps from, that's established during the course of the book. Right, but it, this is the synopsis. Oh, the synopsis. Yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess like, I this is the first thing people get. <laughs> so there's Dude. no kind of bridge between creepy mouse and giant monster everybody is uh, uh, hiding from. Although I, I would like to see this book um, revisited where it's just a mouse that's terrorizing everybody. <laughs> like a mouse-sized mouse? Yeah, like a mouse-sized mouse. It would, be, it would kind of be like the, the rabbit in that... Um, the Monty oh, Python and Holy Grail. Yes, yes. I'm glad that you pulled any of that out because I was be like, "There's those British comedy guys, <laughs> and there was a movie with like helmets and stuff." Because that's how I <laughs> identify films, not by their actual names. Did you see? This is completely off topic, but did you see Craig Craig Walwork on Facebook? Uh, he posted just this random question, and all it said was, "When you hear British, what do you think?" I did see that, and you know what? The I, I here's the whole thing. It's like, what's the first thing you think of? And the first thing I thought of was, it's taking me a really long time to think of something I really <laughs> to when I hear British. Like, it's like six minutes, and I was like, I give up. I think I failed this test. It. I had the exact same, I'm not even lying, I had the exact same response where I was like, uh, um, and then eventually I came up with some jokes, but like that I was like, oh, it seems too forced, and I gave up, and I didn't respond at all. There you go. If it's If it's work... We don't respond. Yeah, exactly. So. That's how we roll. Yeah. So um, let's see. We got Craig Wallwork out of the way, and <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that you pronounced his name wrong. Thanks. I said Thanks. Craig with a with Thanks, an A-Y. Shane. Thanks, Shane. Just uh, <laughs> so I throw some points. <laughs> Shane, Shane McKenzie. More more name mispronunciations. His name's not even Shane McKenzie. That's how deep it goes. <sighs> So we start off this book just like the synopsis does. Sam, um, who is a, uh, you, you get the feel he was he was a little he was a little off, right? Like he wasn't like a quite goofy old. dude, like a yeah. like a socially awkward. Yes, that's what loner kind of guy. Um, he rescues a mouse because he sees um, kind of like the aftermath of of how some of these mice are, are treated, and decides that if he can rescue one, he'll be he'll be doing right by the world. And he gets this cute little pet, and pretty quickly on in the book. Um, it becomes very obvious that this pet is uh, is more than just your average mouse. It fucking kills him, like in the first, <laughs> in like the first chapter. Um, yep. And then it just kind of goes on a rampage of of murder. It turns into this gelatinous kind of um, animal matter absorbing um, blob of like clear flesh and bones and um it just starts moving along going from like feast to feast basically eating animals and people and stuff like that 
Yeah, and we spend a good uh, good portion of the beginning part of this book just kind of seeing that happen. The the main characters, the four survivors, as they're called in the synopsis. Um, you know, we see little little glimpses of them through the beginning, but mostly it's it's a lot of all right. Here's a chapter where there's a character introduced. Not sure if this character is gonna. Oh no, they didn't make it. <laughs> you know, and then it's kind of interspersed with um, talking about some some of the other characters. I'm sure are gonna come up very very shortly here. Yeah. So. And that's the weird thing. Basically what Livia said, but like the weird, so that, that's like the first half of the book. Um, and it's really, the momentum starts to pick up after like 40, I don't want to say 40%, 50 to 50, 50 to 60% into the book. Um, some characters have alluded to the place that we end up, um, but it's a, it's a bar called Roses, right? I get that right? Yep. yep. That, um kind of the final I guess showdown with this monster happens with these in, it's uh, spoken of in the synopsis the four survivors um, who all end up at Roses for different reasons um, they they're the ones that that get kind of trapped inside this building with this monster and then have to figure out how to how to best it yep so those characters are um, David Nez, who is a um, former um, police officer for the Navajo Nation. Um, and then you have Vicki Quayle, who is a um, it's kind of the interesting, she's like the badass chick of the, of the book, you yeah. know, between like um, getting thrown out of casinos for, you know, doing too well at gambling or, you know, using gambling systems. Um, also, you know, spends a lot of time hunting. Um, so you have her. And then you have uh, oh here I'll let you talk about the the, the, the nice couple. Um, the other two people are going to be Kate and Ken. Kate is basically like this you know uh, meth head who is just you know basically scraping the bottom of the barrel of, of life in general. She lost a baby. She lost her um, significant other. I don't remember. It was a husband or a boyfriend, um, and you know was a recovering addict who's kind of back. Uh, back on the meth and things are just like as bad as it can be for her and she has a role as kind of like uh she does the ride-alongs with uh with ken who is her drug dealer and um he drives around selling the drugs and she kind of tags along for the ride and um they end up it's weird they it's funny they end up at the the bar because they had um some stuff had gone down and on their, you know, they're fleeing the state, and on their way out, they see this really horrible car wreck, and they decide they needed to call the police um, to help someone. So it was kind of a glimmering moment of like being a good citizen, or, or you know, um, a Samaritan, and um, a good Samaritan. And and so they went to the bar to find a phone to to try and get some help for these people, and that's how they ended up getting trapped with this monster. So. Now, Rob, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain to the listeners why you and I don't end up as main characters in in fiction books. If you were a meth dealer and you had your meth head like like whatever weird drug hag with you, <laughs> and you were heading out of town on the run, would you stop? Oh no, 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 I wouldn't either. And that's why nobody writes books about. That's it. why, yeah. yeah. But I'll tell you what. I wouldn't get trapped in a bar uh, up against some giant crazy monster either. I'd read about it later. 
That's this is very true. But bars have beer, and some bars have that uh, that fancy uh, microbrew beer that you like so much. Yeah, that one beer. Just a, any any beer. Well, I'm saying that like that. Type I know. Of, I'm just all right. Uh, <laughs> earlier, I read to Rob my my fancy drink. I read it from the side of a Coca Cola can, and I got to tell you, there's some interesting legalese on there about like who produces it and who cans it and under what rules and. Bottled by authority, of yeah, the by the authority world. of, <laughs> and and it, not by like a like it by uh, an alliance of bottlers or something. It was really weird. Like, oh here here I I have this. Yeah, well, just hit us with it. Yeah, canned under authority of the Coca Cola Company, Atlanta, Georgia, by a member of the Coca Cola Bottlers <laughs> Association, Atlanta, Georgia. Can I tell you? All right, so I've I've been in Atlanta, Georgia, exactly one time in my life, and and I have three distinct memories. Was one of them going to the Coca-Cola Bottlers Association and watching Diet Coke get <laughs> bottled in a can? No, one of them was that, uh, I don't know if this is a common thing anywhere else in the country, and maybe some listeners, um, A. Adam Otten probably is going to make a, a thing about this, but uh, the, the uh, like the convenience stores or grocery, you know, like little like, you know, thrifty mart kind of stores mm-hmm. were called package stores. Wait, that was the was that the name? Like we have Seven Eleven and they had package store, or it is that just what people say? It was like, not a it, like it wasn't like a it was like if we said I'm going to the convenience store, gotcha. like not like convenient mart or like a, a specific company name. Like they would say I'm going to the package store. Was this a lot of people, or did, were you just visiting like weirdos? No, I mean like that was the sign on the store was package store. <laughs> like it was an institution. <laughs> My God! I wasn't just making. All right, so thing number two, there's so many streets with the same name that intersect each other in Atlanta. It's nearly impossible to navigate. I'd be like, oh, I have to go to you know Hawthorne Road, and I'm driving, and I cross like Hawthorne Boulevard, but then you have to like go past Hawthorne Boulevard, and then you turn onto Hawthorne Lane to get to Hawthorne. It was like really crazy. It was so confusing. It's like come up with more names. You had all these words when Atlanta was founded. You could have used more of them. Um, so I hold that against Atlanta. And then Let's the third see. thing is, did you you didn't see Back to the Future? So this might not hit you as 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 much as it may some of our listeners. But I actually saw a DeLorean uh, in Atlanta in someone's car and in someone's like uh, like parked in someone's yard like lawn, mm-hmm. and it was painted purple. Yeah, it means nothing to me. Purple. <laughs> uh, you've seen, you know what the car yes, is, though. Yes, yes, And you know that they were made of stainless steel, so the fact that someone tried to paint that is insane. Uh, um, while you were doing this, I did a little bit of research, as I'm known to do from time <laughs> to time. And if you Google what is a package store, um, <laughs> the definition comes up and it says package store. Noun, a store that sells alcoholic beverages in sealed containers for consumption elsewhere. Uh. A liquor store. Then someone got really, really smart. There's a store in Starkville, Mississippi. Care to guess what it's called? A package store. (laughs) Okay. Yep. All right. (laughs) There you go. I thought you were going to look up the purple DeLorean. No, no, but I'm pretty sure if I Googled purple DeLorean, I would probably get exactly what you would expect. Picture of me. Yes, picture of you talking about a purple DeLorean. 
Oh, what were we doing before this? <laughs> oh, that's right. We we're reviewing a book. <laughs> so that's what that's what today is going to be like. Yep, yep, the whole day, or at least the next thirty-five minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, as uh, as Rob had mentioned, um, a series of events brings these four people together inside this bar, and this is where they have it out with Felix. There's probably not a whole lot else to say story-wise. There is one more character that I guess we should probably mention, and that's um, Warren Oates. He is the uh, he's the cleanup guy. So he's the guy that the laboratory from which Felix was uh, was hijacked uh, sent out to um, rid you know the world of Felix and or anybody who has seen or has any you know whatever perhaps evidence or eyewitness accounts of this creature. Yeah, so Warren shows up late in the book uh, at the at the hospital where one of the witnesses of of a of a Felix attack has a uh, you know one of the witnesses from a Felix attack, and soon after that witness uh, dies of a heart attack. So it's kind of alluded to very strongly that he is the guy that makes um, witnesses go away, and. I was really excited about this because nothing's cooler than a corporate cleanup dude who kills people like heartlessly, right? That there, I don't know if nothing is, but it does rank pretty high. Um, didn't really do much. Uh, he eventually figures out where he basically follows the trail of carnage and figures out kind of in the general direction that Felix is going and follows so that he can take care of Felix or at least take care of all the, carnage that you know is in his wake um yeah (laughs) that's about it yeah so um so what we talked about covers um may the first as rob mentioned earlier kind of 60 percent of the book and from then on it's the the fight to stay alive um you know man versus mouse uh gelatinous giant mouse um yeah, I think that's story-wise. I don't think we can really go into very much more. <laughs> but there are some things that we still need to talk about. Yes, there are. Are we going to spoil what the mouse's uh, weakness is? Or is that... No. I see. I don't know. We shouldn't. All right. But I'm going to talk about it anyway. All right. We, at one point in the book, discover what the weakness of the mouse is and what is going to be its inevitable downfall. And I'm not going to say it was disappointing, and I'm taking his explanation of it just as um, we don't need to know the why. We just need to know that it does. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to know a little bit more than we than we actually learned about it. Oh, I was waiting for you to say you went deep into research mode. <laughs> the Google terms would be great. Like, how do you kill a giant gelatinous mouse? No, I was too busy thinking about Atlanta and DeLoreans. Yes, so... Um, Something that struck me about this book, and, and I really want listeners to to take this completely away from the context of things we just said, because I it, it was it's a realization. My, my first thought was, oh, that's kind of this is going back to what Rob's talking about. Like, oh, that's kind of convenient was my first initial thought as I saw this this plot point start to unfold. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that, <clears throat> um, you know, I don't know how to say this. And again, I'm trying to pull myself away from this book because I catch myself thinking, oh, that's rather convenient. So you have some people 
who perhaps are going to be able to kill the monster, and they have a convenient <laughs> tool at their disposal. But really, isn't that why we're reading the story? Because for all we know, Felix could have torn through 18 more bars where people did not just happen to have. So it's not they just happen to have. <laughs> it's that we're reading the story because this is where the story lies. Uh, see, now that, all right, now that would be a very compelling first half of the book. <laughs> where he's just going through and people are trying to combat him with random just, just that bars that they have on hand. just rolling the different bars <laughs> but no and that's what i'm saying i don't want to say it's a downfall for this book it's a realization that i as a reader have read hundreds of books and this this book kind of made it dawn on me that sometimes when something seems too convenient it's not that it's convenient it's that's where the story is and that's really the thing like uh we've had sean ferguson on the podcast and we haven't mentioned him enough lately but that's not why i'm mentioning him and he really begrudges the raw shark texts for having a very convenient set of um circumstances that lead to the overall compelling you know uh you know part of of the story um and he doesn't like raw shark texts because of that but like there are some stories that work solely on the idea that like you know this convenience is the fulcrum of of you know the mechanism of the story so i'm with you olivius like sometimes that's just the story you're reading and if you don't like that type of story sometimes you're going to be disappointed but you have to just so you just have to understand that that is is a common way that stories are written and I like your interpretation that, like, what we're seeing is the interesting part of the story, not necessarily the entire story. Right. Well, that's so we talked about, you know, Felix barreling through all these other people through the first half of the story. And that's because none of them happen to have the the giant gelatinous mouse kryptonite. You know what I mean? Like, right. or that would have been the story would have been some guy in his apartment who happens across you know something by chance and goes hey this this hurts this hurts the creature and then we would have read you know 270 page book or whatever about that yep that's true so so, i like uh and this may be you'll have to tell me if we have to cut this i like how the if you think about it in a poetic kind of way it's like a from whence you came kind of situation with the actual from a lab to a lab yeah, you know what? I didn't really think about that, but yeah, that is kind of huh. Interesting. <laughs> our our really paying attention type listeners may put two and two together, but Yeah, but that's math, and let's face it, us readers aren't big on math. That's right. Yeah. So. What are we big on? Oh uh, well that's all right, that's not true. Rob, you want to tell them why I had to stop before we started recording? Livius Kryptonite, yeah. Livius is scrolling through Facebook because he's pretty much consistently doing that. And he's like, "All right, hang on. Someone posted a math meme. I have to, I have to figure that. I have to work this out before we can continue." And he actually, like, <laughs> I don't really even fully understand what he was talking about, but there was something that he had to figure. It was basically like a series of numbers, and then you, the idea is you're supposed to figure out the pattern and then figure out the answer to the, you know, the equivalent of one of the numbers. And he could not go for proceed in the conversation until he worked it out, which, to his credit, took about eight seconds. Um, this reminds me of a uh, Josh Deach story that may or may not be widely available for reading, but uh, about the vampires counting pennies. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of how I am. If I if you're ever being chased by me, throw down some like weird math meme problems like, on the crowd and watch me stop and like pick them up and think about them for twelve seconds. Throw them down. Go to the next one. Wow. Hang on a second. 
you hear this? I do hear that. You know what that is? I, I'm guessing I know what that is. That might be the story that I was talking about. You know, it's interesting about the fact that you said that the vampires counting pennies things. I totally forgot about that, but uh, um, there's an episode of I'm sorry, Adam Caesar. We're <laughs> we're uh, as varmints was the name of the story by Josh Deitch, right? I believe so. Yes. Uh, there's an episode of X Files where uh, they're they're talking about vampire lore, and one of the things that is mentioned is that. Um, that uh, vampires, one of the lore of vampires is that they're obsessive compulsive about things. So if you throw a quantity of something to the ground, they have to pick them all up and count them before they can do stuff. So it's a way to distract them. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There's some insider shit right here. Yeah. Um, they got that confused. It's just Romanians. Oh. <laughs> if you throw change on the ground, they can't do That's anything. It's not just thriftiness. <laughs> No, they, they just have to pick it up and, and then count it and then put it in their pocket. Oh, okay. Well, we were close. So, yeah, you know. All right. Um, Story-wise, you got anything else on this? Um, the long, awkward silence is kind of giving away that <laughs> you may not have anything else. No, I think uh, I think we covered everything we can. There's more that I'd like to say, but I think we hit we hit the broad strokes. Um, do you happen to have quotes? I don't have any quotes. Um, I'm I'm getting used to. I actually got rid of my iPad, so I read all my books on my phone now, um, and I'm not as as likely to to highlight things as I used to be. I think so. I don't have any quotes from this one, but um, I was wondering if you might. Dude, I totally get that because there are a couple books where I had to read partially on my phone, and yeah, it's like it was very quote heavy from like the second half of the book when I actually <laughs> when you had to, like, pay attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like this. Um, there was a brief, fantastically brief moment where Harold Graham pondered what the hell could have pushed the door towards him with such force. That moment was about fifteen feet long. That's so good. he's uh, he's getting blasted by by the the creature, but I like that that part that that moment was about fifteen feet long. Was some some great stuff. Yeah, he wasn't uh, going for that world. And I believe I have one more. Um, this is we we get a good amount of backstory on some of the survivor characters, air quotes survivor characters. Um, and this is Kate. Um, Vicky doesn't really care for Kate right off and, and one of the reason and probably the main reason is that um Vicky's mom was a drug addict. And uh she's talking about I guess I'll read the whole thing. Um blah blah blah. The woman junkie said the frustration boiling over into panic in her voice. Vicky's mom used to have episodes like this. One time she'd been trying to paint her nails, her fingers not cooperating, and she'd retaliated against the world by setting the kitchen on fire. <laughs> Dude, I can totally relate. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that is an accurate <laughs> way to respond to something that's not going your way. Wait, am I to understand that we have to give you um, as much space as possible when you're painting your nails? Yeah, because if it doesn't work out, I'm setting some shit on fire. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> Listen, when it's time to paint my nails, I need like a few <laughs> things. I need a nail polish remover. I need a nail file. I need some nail polish and some matches. <laughs> Yeah, and then the nail polish just sits in one place while you light everything on fire. Pretty much, that's pretty much what happens. I set up all the other stuff, and I proceed to set fire to shit. There's <laughs> <sighs> like the neighbors across the street are like, "Oh, Livius must be painting his nails again." 
pretty Here comes the fire trucks. All right. <laughs> Rob, let's 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 wrap this up. You uh I'll go first. Um okay. so much like most of the books that we review, I didn't read the synopsis and I kind of went in not knowing what to expect or what really the book was about, which typically is a good, you know, it's a good way to give the book enough of its own benefit of the doubt like you're not going in with a a notion that is then going to be changed by what you're actually reading so didn't really know what to expect um the first half of the book was uh, a little rough on me because really what you're going through is like a chapter of introducing a character and having it killed by this monster and introducing another character and having it killed by this monster and there was um the only consistency was in the fact that the people that we were learning about kept dying um it was a little rough i'm not gonna lie uh once the story started picking up and we we kind of went to the rally point of the bar and we had the the uh, ragtag group of people that was pulled together by circumstance to to fight this weird monster the story had a much more cohesive feel to it uh however i still begrudge a little bit of the backstory so much that i'm going to start rattling bottles around the the individual four the main four characters that that end up battling Felix the giant gelatinous mouse, um, they all have bits and pieces of backstory thrown in and they really felt like an afterthought. Um, I didn't get much of an emotional attachment to any of the characters, even though we saw this emotional uh, part from Vicky's past and Kate's past and a little bit of Nez's, you know. Uh, weird history with leaving his job as a police officer and stuff like that but it just kind of felt like an afterthought it or felt like it was um you know something to build up the the book or something it wasn't a natural feel so that kind of worked against it as well the the basic you know last 30 to 40 percent that was a giant fight scene with the monster actually pretty good and um as as hokey possibly as the as the uh the mouse kryptonite was um it was it was executed well and um overall that second half of the book read pretty well um some stuff kind of left me wanting and there were some things where that i kind of saw coming and everything but overall it was pretty solid it was that first half of the book that i had trouble with so I've been thinking about this while we were talking about it, but uh, about I'm going to go two and a half stars on this. I pretty much like the book, but there were some things that I, I kind of hold against it. All right. Um, I'm going to agree with everything Rob said about the first half of the book. Um, it did it did take a while um, to, to get uh, to, to get us. I, I don't know. It's it's I got it. I was interested in the creature and who was going to fight it, but it just it kind of took a, a while to get to the point. It was literally it was fifty percent of the book, I think, when it kind of all kicks off at the bar. Um, it's not a long book, so it's not like we're two hundred and seventy pages in before it happens. Do you remember what the page count on this is offhand? It's something like two ten, two twenty one, yeah. something like that. Yeah, so yeah, you know, you're a hundred pages in when it starts going. Um, that being said, I do disagree with Rob a little bit in the second half of the book because I quite liked everything that happened in the second half of the book. Um, I, I thought that it was done well, and I was. I was worried because, yeah, I'm coming off the first half where I'm like, all right, cool, stuff finally going to start happening. And then I go, holy crap, the whole second half of the book is this giant fight scene. And I was concerned <laughs> that that would go on too long or whatever. And I really didn't feel that it did. I thought that the second half moved 
if you split this book in half, you had a paper copy and split it in half. I thought the second half read you know twice as fast as the first half, just because there was momentum and action, and, and most of it was pretty good. It did have a little bit for me, and I want to say this, and I know this is going to sound a, a, a tad negative. This kind of book isn't necessarily my cup of tea, in that it's um, it's kind of um, it, it reminds me of um, Midnight Movie Creature Feature, which we reviewed I don't know three years ago, two and a half years ago, um, which was great in that they were short stories. But this is like a really long, like long novella, short novel version of one of those stories that had that kind of son of Svengooly story feel to it. Um, which is great if that's your thing. It's not necessarily my thing, but I do think that the action and the storyline, once you, I guess, I was thinking about this. I was like, man, we're kind of doing this book a disservice because we're really we're calling the, the the creature a gelatinous giant mouse the whole time, and and really it's it ceases being that fairly shortly into the book. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a gelatinous blob, and I I don't want to say it's um. It, giant gelatinous blobs seem to be less intimidating than um, guy with machete or, you know, wolf creature or something that's a little less goofy just in its own appearance. <laughs> if that makes, am I, am I making sense? Yeah. I, yeah, I think you are. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm probably a little, I think I like this book a little more than Rob did. And I'm going to go with uh, three and a half stars. All I'm saying is I wanted more Warren Oates. Dude, you know, that's the funny because we were talking before the show and we were putting the notes together and we were kind of getting names to, to put out there and, you know, on the thing. And he goes, yeah, what the hell were, why was there more of that guy? And I wasn't bothered by that. But Rob was like, fucker, the cleanup guy is the coolest that's guy the in the story. world. That's the story right there is Warren Oates. I guarantee it. That's the real story. Yeah. And quite possible. You know, the best who's, who's the best cleanup guy in all of entertainment. Come on, throw it out there. I know you know exactly what I'm talking about, too. What? In all of entertainment? In, in all of TVs and movies, who's who's the best cleanup guy? Who's the most entertaining one? Oh, man, I'm going to draw a blank. Oh, dude, I don't know what her name is, but it's Oh, Mr. my God, it, yeah. Blacklist, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, see, that's I knew that. And thought she's got a good. dude name. That's the other thing. Yes. This also. warrants me actually going to, to IMDb. I almost said Wikipedia. Fuck Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia. Do you just not like Wikipedia? Is it because it's crowdsourced? If everybody so, just gave three dollars, dude, shut up! If everybody you know, just gave three dollars, <laughs> quiet. Oh, it's going to be so sad that it's going to take me forever to to find Mister Something. You're welcome. It is Mister Something. If I ever told you my theory on that show? Did we discuss it on a podcast? How that show is, um, yeah, obviously James Spader is what makes it. But it's all the weird side characters that are the best thing about that show. Oh, man. Fucking Paul Rubens. Yes. 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 Uh, but all of them. All the little villains are the best part of it. Peter Stormare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're really they're really interesting, compelling characters. But and James Spader. I mean, like, let's be honest. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. James Spader being James Spader. That would make any television better. Yeah. You know, when you say like with actors, you're like, oh, I hate that he's gotten typecast. I love that James Spader is typecast as James Spader. <laughs> he's like, what do you need me to do for this role? And they're like, you just be yourself and wear this hat. <laughs> they're like, they're like, you know what, James, we really appreciate what you're doing. Could you be a little more you? <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. That age of Ultron or whatever. He's like, oh, God, I love to be a supervillain. What do you guys need me to do? Just be you and wear be this you. helmet. <laughs> Look at and where the, uh, the actress's name is Suman Blomert. Blomert. The character's name is Mr. Thanks. Kaplan. Thanks, Shane McKenzie. Boom. Thanks, James. Shane's McKenzie. Shane's. <laughs> See, even pronouncing his own name wrong. That's right. His name wrong. Whatever. Love Blacklist. Five sure. five stars for Blacklist. What else we got going on besides uh, this uh, this nice book review? Well, Rob brought up an interesting point. I think we should all give to Wikipedia. Um, because it's important, and if everybody just gave three dollars, their drive would already be over. That's right. Um, but you know what? If you're like Rob and you just think fuck Wikipedia and you want to give money to a better cause, Nikki Gerlane has joined the Patreon um, group of artists and is doing something really interesting. Which, man, can you imagine if we would have thought of this first? What mine and your diaries would read like? See, I think that's where the real money is because. Nikki, all right. So Nikki, if you if you're friends with her on Facebook, you see enough weird shit. Um, but then she's like, she announced she's gonna do this Patreon. It was basically, you know, I'm gonna do an uncensored, uncensored like diary kind of thing. And I'm thinking because she does so much that's censored. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, <laughs> is she censoring? <laughs> okay, just, all I know is that Nikki Gerling. Half the time, I'm I'm. I'm either like I want to click the like button or I want to report this post. I don't I don't know like I don't know which one to do. What's what's the right thing? What's the right thing? All I'm saying is that when the girl who posts pictures of like a penis in a high-heeled shoe says I'm doing this Patreon thing where, you know, contributors are going to see like you know, my uncensored thoughts and stuff. I'm thinking, "My god, what?" I almost don't. I almost want to protect myself by not contributing. But it's a violation of my parole just to contribute to this. <laughs> uh, but not the case. I think um, one of her early posts kind of demonstrates the type of things that you will you will be getting and you'll be benefiting from if you do contribute to her. I um, cannot second what Rob just said because I am so goddamn technologically challenged that I couldn't figure out how to see the actual posts. So the reason we're kind of speeding through this episode is Rob is going to give me a tutorial on how to use um, the Internet. How to use the Internet in five easy steps. Um, I couldn't even log into my goddamn account. <laughs> that's, that's you're that guy. You're the person on a daily basis by virtue of what I do as my day job that I hate more than anybody in the world. But um, so one of one of her first posts was uh, um, she did a preview of her upcoming f- novel, Machine Gun Vacation, which um, shows the cover of the book, which is just amazing. And some of it inspired by us, Livia. So I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Oh, no, no, I am. I don't know if some of that first chapter is, but. <laughs> and um, then there is like a three page excerpt of. Um, the beginning, I think it's the beginning of the book, uh, and she calls it Frankie Gots to Poo Poo, uh, which introduces the two guys characters that we love from her two guys stories and uh, sets a little of the mythology of the book in action. Two dudes. Two dudes? Did I say two, two guys? Dudes. You did. We're two, two dudes. Guys. There are two dudes. Not related. Sorry. Really sorry. Two dudes. So... Unlike us, where we're we're very laid back and we post like one thing a week, and we're like, "Hey, listen to this if you want to," and then we don't talk again. She's already got like four, you know, different uh, things posted on her Patreon of of content that she's sharing with her contributors. So, if you're looking for regular content from someone who is incredibly creative and 
quite possibly really insane. Um, definitely throw down some money on on her Patreon. Yep. Indeed. I agree. I support but all of this. This isn't the Nikki Gerlane podcast, though. No, no, no. No, no, no. If you appreciate having us around to tell you to support Nikki Gerlane's Patreon account, you can also support our Patreon account thing. That's right. Which and I also can't figure out. Since we were on there first, if you ever go <laughs> and, and you see that she's like got a, a bigger monthly contribution than us, I think the right thing to do to save our feelings and to save Livius from eating a bullet is to, to throw a little bit more money at us. I've got, all I'm going to say is I've got nail polish and matches <laughs> and I'm going to figure out how to look at Patreon in the next hour. So <laughs> give now before it's too late before Livius becomes a serial arsonist. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com slash booked and I'm sure hers is like slash Nikki Gerlane or something, that's but exactly she's also one of our contributors. So that's probably the quickest way to get to her. page. <laughs> yeah. Once you put your pledge in for us, then just kind of look at our, our, our patrons and click on her and then you can contribute to her, whatever you got left over. Indeed. Uh, moving right along. Um, uh, this is still the book podcast, still about us. So we're going to talk about other things that we're doing. Um, we will be appearing on the Books, Beer, and Bullshit podcast as guests, as as interviewees. So here's the thing. We're the ones that ask the goddamn questions around here. And we have said that to um, people we've been interviewing when they were like, hey, I've got a question. And some of that I'm sure gets cut out. But uh, we actually agreed to be <laughs> interviewed over at the Books, Beer, and Bullshit podcast um, with uh, Mr. Jeff and Mr. Frank. Um, and that was a lot of fun. So that should be up this weekend. So if you're listening to this when it's fresh, five, six days from now, you'll want to check those guys out. Um, they Did you notice how they like kind of toned it down? I think they did it because we were on there. Like there wasn't like a whole bunch of goofy like dick jokes or anything while we were on. <laughs> like like they were they were like, we're going to do this like we're serious. And then they are serious, but they're very, very their level of energy. And we were talking about it after we were done recording. It's like one day I'll have that level of energy on our podcast. And Rob's like, like the fuck you will. <laughs> like that was his response. Like it's never going to happen. So give well, those I, guys a listen. I, I looked at it like this. It was like when we were on the, on the episode, it was very, you know, it was at our level of energy, which first of all, score one for us. Cause we set the tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I have to imagine once we were off and they recorded the rest of that episode, they had to overcompensate. So they were just literally like screaming into a microphone for like 10 minutes. In different languages. Yeah. So just to compensate for our level of chill, which I love our level of chill. I do, too. Yeah. You know why? Because it's easy. Because I don't have the energy for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> to drag myself to this microphone once a week. <laughs> it fucking enough. takes enough. <laughs> just I, to fucking, get this. I, change, I change rooms <laughs> for this. <laughs> That's all I've got in me, man. Oh, um, but definitely, you're going to want to check that out. And if you're looking for something to tide you over till this weekend, they have numerous, a plethora of episodes. Um, their format is um, they do kind of a similar thing. They either review books or talk to authors or, in this case, podcasters. Then they review a beer. Now, before you go, oh, great, two guys talking about the, the, the barley and the hops and whatever. No, no, no. These guys find terrible beers to review they're like what was he saying we were, we were talking to him they're like they're like that the pizza flavored beer was pretty good so they find like weird they um, they look for beers that they're gonna hate 
And sometimes they're surprised that they actually taste good. Yes. And what they do is they keep you from making those same mistakes. So they are providing a public service to you, the drunkards of the world. Caleb Ross, if you are not listening to that, it's probably because you're passed out drunk. Yeah. We had too much of that Thanksgiving turkey beer. Yeah. So definitely <laughs> give those guys a listen. They follow that up with a bullshit segment, which is just whatever's on their minds, kind of like the back half of our uh, uh, of our episodes where they just talk about shit. Kind of like or how in we some cases, interrupt our, our reviews with just random exactly. nonsense about Atlanta and stuff. Sometimes they're like, oh, I know we're reviewing this book, but wait, you know what? I had a thought the other day. <laughs> um, so there's that. Um, oh, by the time you are listening to this, by the time the majority of you are listening to this, I understand that the This Is Horror Awards um, uh, nominations will be made public. Mm. Now, I think we have a good chance of being nominated because I set up like 72 different Gmail accounts. (laughs) And I know, I know you're not supposed to, but there's no way you're catching me because I kept changing the number at the end of my Gmail address (laughs) because that's how I keep track which one to log into. So there's no way that they know it's me. And really, as long as you 71 different times say, that's not my email address, I think you're covered. That's right. Be like, oh, Olivia's guy's great. I misspelled my name a couple times in him just to really throw him off. So uh, so I, I have a feeling. One time he nominated Crime Wave. Well, yeah. Yeah. Even though they're totally not horror related. <laughs> yes. Crime Wave. They got not, Crime Wave probably didn't get nominated. I'm going to be honest with you. I probably just nominated booked a bunch of times. So. If right. Michael Wilson, judge extraordinaire over at This Is Horror, does not see through that, then we are a shoe-in. I really would like, like I said in a previous episode, there is definitely room for another award up on my creepy wall of, um, you know, event posters and stuff. <laughs> Things with your name on them. Things with my name. <laughs> really, <just> like. <laughs> before the podcast, when Rob didn't have things with his name, it was just pictures of him selfies pictures from elementary school just that he put up on his own wall yeah actually um in high school you remember back in high school when we didn't have cell phones that we carried around we had to have like a little like a paper like a day planner kind of thing yep um the decoration that i used for mine was uh mug shots of celebrities nice yeah so i had uh my my favorite celebrity mugshot was uh and this was you know timely because i went to high school in the early to mid 90s was uh uh paul rubin's mugshot Wee herman nice. himself right after he got caught in a masturbation you know here's here's the scandal. funny part is that if we threw out a bunch of celebrity names things they were arrested for and be like eh, i don't know it's probably drugs probably drugs i don't know maybe drunk driving Paul Rubens, you throw out a guy from the second time he's come up in this episode, by the way. I know. <laughs> so just throw his name out there and be like, yeah, it's a guy who's jerking off in a porn theater. Everybody knows exactly what he did. So, you know Mel who Gibson, else? what was he arrested for? I don't know. He was d- drugs, I think. I don't know. Mel Gibson? Sugar tits. Yeah, there you go. Um, the other person that was, uh, I think it was masturbating in a bathroom, was George Michael, right? I didn't have his... He, yeah, I think he actually propositioned someone to do it uh, for him. See, here's the difference. When you're washed up Pee Wee Herman, you have to do it yourself. When you're George Michael, you get other people to do it for you. And then they arrest you. Levels of success. Yeah. Yeah. Well. One day we're going to be so famous, Rob, that we're going to be able to have the people do that for other people. Like we do, like our level of involvement comes to <laughs> That's like. <laughs> 
one step ahead of George Michael. <laughs> I'll give you 50 bucks to jerk that guy off. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's how you measure success. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what's stopping us from doing that right now. <laughs> the fact that we're not going to part with 50 bucks for anybody <laughs> else's for anybody else's benefit until the Patreon. Maybe we can make that like a milestone goal. <laughs> If we hit the five hundred dollar a month <laughs> start milestone, for hand jobs for other people. <laughs> Booked. Don't say we never gave you anything. We still have a podcast. <laughs> what has happened here? Oh, I'm in tears. <laughs> I am too. Oh, thank God we don't have much else to talk about. <laughs> this is more energy than I like to expend on this podcast. <sighs> so, um, hopefully, the next time we're on, we'll be able to tell you specifically where you can go vote for your favorite podcast. Um, assuming it's us. If not, we will give you a faux email address to send your uh, your votes to. And uh, that's about it. Oh, you know what? There's going to be a new crime wave coming up soon, too. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still laughing. <laughs> Sometimes I forget uh, that we don't do this live, and I'm like, how have we not got 18 applications for people <laughs> who are interested in participating in our <laughs> Our giant success story. Uh, that's right. Uh, we <laughs> couldn't go. I couldn't go straight. Sorry, that's right. I'm still throwing bottles around. It's like fucking warriors. Come out and play. <laughs> What's that's happening a, over there? That's a dated reference. I don't understand. Last. That's the last movie I watched. Wow. All right. Yeah, um. <laughs> Yeah, so we will have, uh, coming up soon, we don't know exactly the timing of it, it just matters when Livius and I can um, get the uh, the intro-outro kind of thing uh, recorded, is going to be the next episode of Crime Wave, which is going to be a story by Nick. Thanks, Shane McKenzie, for making me pronounce this wrong. Mamatas? Mamatas? Yeah. Yes, of both of those. Yep. Who I met in Seattle. Interesting dude. You know what? I actually forgot that you met him. Now that you said that, I remember you telling me that. But yeah, I um, I did this. It's a good story. I'm looking forward to this one. I mean, I already listened to. It. I'm looking forward to you guys hearing it because I, I quite like this one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that will be coming up, and definitely, uh, like I was talking about before in a previous episode. There's so many. Don't just wait for the new Crime Wave episodes. I know some of you are just new to it because it came to you through us. There's so much Crime Wave. There's there's probably more episodes of Crime Wave than there is of Booked. So feel free to go back through the catalog and, and listen to stuff. There's tons and tons of really good stuff in there. Yeah, the only thing those older episodes suffer from is lack of us. Right. And, I mean, that's a big... That's a, I know, you know I know. negative, but um, just listen to it, you know. Imagine it's us, you know, that's, yeah. that we're doing, like, a fake voice. Just imagine that. Can we end off the episode with um, with some New Year's resolutions? You know what? Yes, we should. <laughs> And this is not as as uh, as big of a surprise <laughs> as it sounds, because um, Rob mentioned it, and I completely forgot about it. So, Rob, 
I understand you might have some New Year's resolutions. I do have a resolution, and this is going to be a challenge. This is an actual challenge, and this is the reason that I thought that it was going to be a good resolution to make. And it's going to be something that if one of us makes the resolution, the other one has to as well. For 2015, I want to make the resolution that we will not review any short story collections or anthologies. I 100% support this. All right. I thought you might be on board with that one. I, I was inspired by um, reviewing the or doing the year in review where we talked about short story collections and anthologies. And um, so, yeah, that's a resolution. You will not hear a review of an anthology or a short story collection from Booked in 2015. I'm going to throw one caveat in there. Interwoven novellas do not count as short story collections or anthologies. That is a very important caveat. I understand why you just said that, and I fully agree. A little writer writer on that resolution. So um, let's see. I feel like I should kind of throw out a resolution there, too. Um, um, How long do you have to make resolutions? Can you still make them in, like, March? (laughs) All my good resolutions show up right before, like, July. Yeah, it usually takes me months. <laughs> I resolve to come up with some resolutions for this for this year podcast. So. I, you had, like, an hour and a half to go through and figure out one resolution. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no, I did. I did. I well, absolutely did. I'll give you, I'll buy you some time. Okay. You want to know what arrived at my apartment on Christmas Eve? What, what, what did arrive? My hardcover first edition print copy... Of Bird Box by Josh Mallerman. Very nice. Yeah. I like that. You gonna get that guy to sign it? I'm driving up to uh where does he live? Somewhere in Michigan? New York? Ferndale, Michigan. Driving up to Ferndale. See, you live in New York? Michigan. New York's not in Michigan, I don't think. No, in the bio it says he lives in Ferndale, Michigan. And remember he was talking about when he wrote the book, it was like a mansion in Detroit that he was living in? I know you have a, an Android phone. Go to Google Maps, and I want I you to look at Michigan, and I want you to look at New York so that you can realize they're different places. No, no, no. I, I know they are, but I'm fairly certain that, that guy lives in New York right now. <laughs> Is it based on something that you can't talk about <laughs> on the podcast? Is that why you're being so vague about it? No, it's because I'm trying to find for I'm like, I cannot have made this up in my goddamn head that the guy lives in New York. It's just not possible. Uh oh, he's one of those. The current city, I have to ask him. And you know, I want to click this button. <laughs> Be like, listen, I know this just seems like poking someone on Facebook, but where, where, where exactly do you live? Um, live yes. Yeah, this is bad, but I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. God, I mean, I could send him a message right now. Yeah, that'll buy me some time. <laughs> I'm just. I don't even know why we're doing this exactly, but. Seems really important that we know where where where, where Mr. <laughs> where are you lives. right now? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm like he had to have checked in at a restaurant or something, right? Like there's got to be something. Oh God damn it! No, no, because that's somebody who lives in Michigan that posted to him. Oh, Josh Mallerman, you're making. Oh God damn it! All right. So for some reason, apparently he has very very recently moved back to Michigan. Maybe today even. <laughs> Two hours ago, possibly. Why did I think he lived in New York? 
I, I can't. I mean, it's your mind that was wrong. I know. So. I know. But yeah, yeah. See, this is how I, my poor adult fucking brain works. I want to send him a message saying, why did I think you lived in New York? Because that makes perfect sense for him to explain to me why I thought something that was wrong. I just sent him a message that says, Livius thinks you live in New York. <laughs> He's wrong, right? <laughs> Hashtag not stalking. <laughs> this is what happens when you... <laughs> You get a podcast like ours. You don't care about invading the privacy of the authors who were nice enough to come on your podcast and talk to you. All right. Oh, he's already responding. Hang on. I'm going to tell him to make sure to tune in to the next episode. Detroit. <laughs> Bam. Detroit. All right. Ferndale, actually. But, yeah, that's cool. <sighs> yeah, yep. There's going to be more Shane McKenzie noises on my computer in a second. I resolve to say less really dumb things on this podcast. Can I mean, you resolve for me to say less dumb things? Because quite honestly, if you resolve, it actually happens because then you just edit it out. So, yeah, there you go. I was right. Dude lives in Michigan, not New York City or New York at all. Oh, I resolve to be less wrong the rest of the year. That's a bullshit resolution. Oh, it's probably less. It's probably less entertaining <laughs> if I'm not wrong about things. I do. I get in my head sometimes these things. I was sharing this with Rob earlier, and I'm pretty sure the person in question doesn't listen to this. But I, I have a friend who um, <laughs> it's one of the few people I talk to on the phone regularly. And I called him like three nights in a row, and my, my messages went straight to voicemail. So I sent him a message like, dude, is your phone working? And I had managed to convince myself that he may have killed himself. Like this is sort of <laughs> because there's no good reason for him not to answer his phone. <laughs> And I mean, who wouldn't answer head. their phone for you? Josh Mallerman lives in New York. <laughs> I, I, here's here's the difference between me and Nikki Gerling is that I just don't type some of these things out. I'm sure I'm equally as as uh, as nuts as she is. <laughs> well, apparently, uh, I even bought you time to come up with a better resolution, and you got yourself all mired in the whole idea that he lives in New York. You oh. if you were trying to escape. You tried to escape the resolution. That's what happened, right? I, I don't, I don't, oh man, I don't know, dude. There's got to be something. A book-related one. Just think of something. I Get am, us off uh, the hook for having to not do something. That's what uh, I did. That's that's very good. <laughs> you did a very good thing. But you know, <laughs> mine will be like, we're going to do more of this. Um, all right. I resolve that we are going to interview somebody who has been the top 20 on the New York Times bestseller list. All right, I'm going to start writing emails because that might not be an easy task. <laughs> it will not be an easy task, but you know, it'll, I'll, I'll, I'll be the one. I, I will resolve to make it happen. You know, you've just got to be there for the episode. All right, I'll be there. And Top I'll, 20. Top 20. And the good thing is, when we're interviewing this very important person, I won't have to talk about purple DeLoreans in Detroit or in um, Atlanta because it's already done. That's that's true, and I will not accuse them of living somewhere else other than <laughs> they're like, oh, you know, I live in Pennsylvania. I really like it there. You're like bullshit. You live in New York, motherfucker. <laughs> you and Josh Mallerman are fucking neighbors. <laughs> Tell him I said I sign my book. <laughs> oh, this episode is so over. Uh, <laughs> Come back next week, where we'll be back to our normal energy levels. What are we? Uh, Oh, that's yeah. So, do you want to? I think we had said we were doing Hinkson. Do we want to do Hinkson and then follow that up with a wheel of meat selection? 
<laughs> yes, that's what we're going to do. Next up, The Big Ugly by Jake Hinkson, published by Beat to a Pulp Press. After that, Wheel of Meat. Wheel of Meat upcoming. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep meeting. <laughs>